Nothing changes instantaneously. In a gradually heating bathtub, you'd be boiled to death before you knew it. Our Father, who art in heaven. Seriously? What the actual fuck? Gilead doesn't care about children. Gilead cares about power. Why does healing have to be the only goal? Why can't we be as furious as we feel? For whatever man sows, so shall he reap. Welcome to Above the Garage. Hi, friends. Welcome to our analysis of Season 4, Episode 8 of The Handmaid's Tale, which is entitled Testimony. Let's do our round of introductions and dive in. Hi, I'm Ginger. Hi, I'm Melissa. Hi, I'm Claudia. Hi, I'm Scarlett. Hi, I'm Marigold. Hi, I'm Violet. And I'm Kate. So the episode opens with Glory Box by Portis Head. As June cuts her hair, obviously relevant lyrics. I'm so tired of playing, of playing with this cloak and dagger. Give my heart away. Give it to the other girls to play, for I've been temptress for too long. Give me a reason to love you. Give me a reason to be a woman. I just want to be a woman. And as they're singing that, she's um, she cuts her hair, but she's also like touching herself with her hands, like Nick touched her on the bridge, on the back of the neck, and sliding down her shoulder. Her cutting her hair is a parallel to her cutting her hair in two oh one when Nick gives her the scissors when she's trying to escape. So I thought that was really. I guess I didn't really pay attention to that before, but I love that she's cutting her hair the length she did when he was with her, but she's also like touching herself in the way that he did. So obviously he's on her mind. Yeah. Wasn't there recently a Samson and Delilah reference too? Um, I know like in the Bible, usually the women's glory comes from their hair. So yeah. it could be symbolic. Of, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their femininity and their sensuality also comes from their hair, I think, in some cultures. So mm-hmm. I love that she looked so peaceful. I mean, she rarely looks peaceful since she um, ended up in Canada. And so I really love that she had a moment of being with herself and thinking about the things she wanted to think of and not being confronted with anything she tries to avoid. So I feel like she's also like very like sensual almost yeah, versus totally. how she has been. Yeah. I also viewed it as like autonomy over her own body. She yes. never had that in Gilead and now she finally can do something. So this is just a small act of reclaiming her independence. Yeah. Yeah. In Gilead, she couldn't cut her hair though. I think they're not supposed to cut their hair. Yeah. And that's why. And um, like Ginger said, that first time, you know, she had to cut her hair because they were trying to make her not look like herself. And this time she made the choice to cut her own hair. But also she was cutting her hair back then because she was going to escape to be free. And now she is free. So it almost feels like she's cutting off Gilead to feel more free in Canada since she doesn't really feel that way. Yes. Um she didn't do it in a hurry, like in episode one of season two. She did it when she wanted to do it. Like she was okay with herself in freedom and she did it. Not because someone or or because something happened and she needed to cut uh, the hair. Mm-hmm. I wondered later on in the episode, I mean, not wondered, she looks like she really does it well because I'm like if I would do that I would look horrible afterwards (laughs) cutting my hair by myself and I don't think she went to the hairdresser I mean I know it's like the hairdresser of the show 
makes her hair and everything but it's like she's cutting her hair on her own and then she looks perfect I mean (laughs) she's had practice I have cut my own hair it didn't look like that you're right no then we're at a library in the dark and the women are all in a circle so it's some sort of support group and one of the women Tyler is talking about cutting so it's interesting to move from cutting hair into talking about her cutting as a her skin obviously as a defense mechanism she used a method of control in Gilead and like a lot of people she cut in places that wouldn't be noticed Moira tells her you're here now you're healing you're free and Tyler says yeah my commander's free too and Jesus like I wonder how often that happened or how that happened that the commander would come to Canada and be free like but obviously she's not feeling free at all because of that and the women start talking to June about facing Fred in court tomorrow. And notably, everybody is talking about how June feels, except June. And finally, after everybody else has stated how she must feel and Moira has made it clear that she doesn't want her to go to court at all, June speaks up. I'm not nervous or worried or scared. I can't fucking wait. I like the division of, you know, June's in the middle, Moira's on the side and Emily's on the other side. And you can see what Moira's mindset is and what Emily's mindset is. And obviously, we're going to see that like that those mark difference throughout the whole episode and I think it, it starts here with those little details that they say because Emily's like yeah you know she, she feels that she has to go and do it in person and Moira's like well she doesn't have to do it in person so it's interesting how you can see all those three things play out mm-hmm. I love how they're sitting in a circle though too like they used to as handmaids and then like the lampshades look like their wings yeah which almost in a way like makes me it kind of makes me think of like the handmaids that are not there as in like the ones who died or the ones who are still stuck in Gilead. So I think another beautiful cinematography moment in this episode. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's very cool. And that was pointed out in the Meta Witches review of this episode um, on their website. Those give some great analysis too. I also like how uh, Moira knew June pre-Gilead and Emily only knows June during Gilead and post Gilead. So I like that they have this two different viewpoints of of June and what she'd want. And Emily's, you know, even though Moira was June's best friend, Emily's is more on point with what June wants. Yeah, that's a good point. It's just crazy though, like how everybody's telling June how to feel. And even Moira, like when she was talking to Tyler, she's like, well, at least you're here now, you're free which is true, but it almost comes across like, I don't want to say condescending, but kind of like, this is how you should feel like, oh, at least Mm -hmm. you're free, you know, like maybe Mm -hmm. she just wants to be angry and not see the silver lining. But I think that kind of shows the difference between like June, just wanting to feel her feelings and Moira just kind of, she's in such a different place in her recovery and her healing, I should say, than other people you know so it's it's just interesting to me I guess that Moira is running this group I'm assuming it must be like informal you know because it's not like Moira has training in no yeah she's she's currently in coding boot camp so I don't know how much psychology training she did work at the refugee center for a bit so maybe maybe she did some training but she's obviously not like a licensed counselor right that's what I mean but yeah I mean she's obviously like a survivor herself so she can relate yeah um I just realized that basically both of the women of her best friends basically um don't really know her at this moment because even Emily got out before June really went off the rails so that her most self-destructive time was after Emily left. So 
I don't know if any of those can really understand where she's at at the moment. But yeah, I I agree that cool that they are sitting next to her, like the ones on the shoulder. Linking her, yeah. Yeah. Yes, the devil and the angel on the shoulder. When Moira catches up with her in the stacks after the meeting and her new security detail asks if she's ready to go, but she wants to talk to Moira or ask her if she wants to kick her out of the group. And I don't think she's done anything worthy of that just yet. But June's disappointed that she's not got more in common with the other women. And she's laughing at the concepts of forgiveness, healing, journaling, which, by the way, it didn't seem like the other women were feeling all that healed or forgiving in the meeting. But anyway, something much more June style is happening around the corner, a confrontation. Someone's chasing Emily, begging her to talk to her for five minutes. Emily can't get her to leave her alone. So June interjects and tells her to leave. The woman gives her contact info to Emily on a piece of paper that drops to the floor. And June tries to get Emily to tell her who she was, but Emily leaves shaken. Surprise, surprise, June picks up the paper. I just thought it was funny how June has like a bodyguard and then she kind of becomes Emily's bodyguard in a way. Like she's kind of looking out for her. I thought that was kind of funny. But also I think I think June was very surprised by this meeting and everything because I think she was shocked that people weren't feeling as angry and like just feeling their feelings like she expected. And like she yeah. feels. And it seems like the whole episode, she's trying to get the people to feel like she's feeling. So she isn't alone anymore because she hoped that she finds some people that think like her and nobody really dares to go all out like she would. So Yeah, yeah I agree. I think it's hard for survivors of trauma to admit that they're angry because society always tells them Mm -hmm. to let go forgive move on so I understand why the other women are are holding back their emotions and that's kind of how Moira's leading the group like Mm -hmm. I mean I know she means well and I you know again like she's in a more advanced state of healing but like I feel like because she's like well at least you're here I think it makes them feel like they can't express Mm-hmm. their yeah, dark like thoughts minimizes what they've gone through in a way I feel like mm-hmm. and when uh, the thing with Emily happens afterwards June basically gets her clue to maybe getting Emily there so she's immediately picking up the signs that maybe she can find an alley in uh, Emily when she pushes her in that direction trauma victims also don't want to be judged by other people. I mean, obviously the support group, these are people that have gone through similar experiences, but like um, Mary Gold said, society tells you you're not supposed to feel like that and that you're supposed to be the bigger person, which for me, that is a little condescending. Um, So all those, all those fears, you kind of push them down, but eventually they're just going to boil up. So you you have to kind of deal with those feelings like anger and hatred and, and, and stuff like that. So I'm pretty sure that's also why the victims hold them back, especially with their loved ones, because they're going to be, they're already seen as victims and they don't want to be seen as victims. Yeah. When they're in the library and June says, why aren't they more angry? And Moira says, how do you know they're not? That I really connected with that personally, because I feel like I express anger through sadness And so I just found that really interesting because it was like, how you don't really know what people are feeling just from the way they're acting. They could be, there could be another layer underneath that they don't want to express to you. And that's kind of a note I had with Emily this entire episode. I cannot figure out how she's feeling until the very end when she says Mm -hmm. it, right? I'm like, shit, is she upset about the woman killing herself? Is she not upset? Like it's completely, and she's so good at what she's doing Mm -hmm. with not showing her emotions and, you know. 
she was trained to do that of course but that's that's a very good point you don't know how anyone's feeling and i mean i definitely like will be it's probably rare that somebody would actually think i was mad (laughs) because i usually just get like sad but then i'll know that i'm kind of mad and you know but it's not like i'm expressing it because it doesn't feel it feels like it's at the core it's like down in there somewhere it's not like right on the edge where I can show it so I just thought that was that was important because obviously we relate to June most because we see everything she's gone through and we see her journey but it's just interesting how they show that different ways people express their emotions is all I'm the same way Violet and I I think that part of it is too that women were not supposed to show anger so that's because we're called we're called bitches when we're angry yeah Right. Or emotional if we're sad, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. We're probably yeah. all trying to keep our emotions under cover to some extent. Men are forced to not be emotional too. So yeah, it's all sure. dumb. Then we're at dinner with Emily, Moira, June, and Luke, and their kitchen is so dark. I mean, the whole show is insanely dark, but the past couple scenes have been striking me so. And Moira is saying coding boot camp has been kicking her ass. I didn't remember that she worked in computers. Oh, I did. She was designing... Um, she was designing a website for something progressive back when she, Holly was talking, the mom. Okay. But so much would change in seven years in that world. It would be tough. Yeah. And Luke asks if Emily is going back to teaching and she says still is encouraging her, but she doesn't know if she's ready. And Julia interrupts and asks who Iris Baker is. When everybody's silent, she slides the paper from the library at Emily. And Emily uncomfortably admits she knew her as Aunt Irene. She was assigned to the district where she had her first posting before she met June. June asks what she wants and follows up with, she hurt you, didn't she? And this time Luke interjects angrily to June, why would you say that? And June responds with, because she's an aunt. She tells Emily she should face her and get everything she's been holding in out. And Luke keeps interjecting June. Um, but Emily responds to June, we're not all like you. But it's kind of Luke's reaction though is kind of proving what Scarlett was saying about victims, where June is, you know, speaking about how she thinks Emily feels. And she does know Emily. She knows what she's capable of. She's seen her in action in Gilead. So it's just kind of showing like June, the way Luke is approaching it is kind of like it feels judgmental, I guess, or it almost feels like he's reprimanding her. And so she feels like she can't express her feelings, you know, but again, here we have people, we had the women in the support group kind of speaking for June about how she feels about Fred, but then June here is kind of speaking for Emily. But I do feel like this is different because I think she sees an Emily that, well, again, she knows who she is. She knows how vengeful she can be. So I think she's kind of trying to like pull that out of her. Yeah, I, I think June is really interested in, in what happened to Emily. And also Luke has no idea about the aunt. So he's not like he met many aunts in Canada, right? But I think June generally wants to help Emily about what happened with this aunt. Because she also saw firsthand the consequence of what happened because of that aunt. So she knows Emily has feelings about this that she's not releasing. Then June and Luke are washing dishes and it seems Luke's trying to sympathize that Aunt Irene must have been brutal. And June says, 
how bad could she be? Aunt Lydia set a high fucking bar. And then Luke gets to what he was really wanting to say, which is if she had wanted you to know, don't you think she would have just told you? Which makes everything that follows extra hard for me to understand because he understands the concept of refugees needing time to tell you what happened to them, but not when it comes to himself and June, it seems, which I get. I literally this morning told Kai, did something and Kai was like, mom, you say never to do that. I was like, well, do as I say, not as I do. So I get it. It's harder when it applies to yourself. I do want to defend Luke in this scene, though, when he tells June that he told Tuello about Hannah in the summer home. Because if I were in Luke's shoes, I would have told Tuello as well, because in his mind, he's doing anything he can to get Hannah and... It would be a logical thing to give every piece of information that you know to this intelligence agent. So I agree. And he had, they've had nothing, basically. They've had like yeah. no information. It's just been a hole for years. He should have asked her, though. I, he yeah, should have I, told say, her I agree, before. but yeah. it was her information. So I feel like they right. should have at least had a discussion. Like, hey, yeah. I think we should go talk to Tuello. Or do you yeah. want to, should we do it together? Like, it, it just feels like, she was the one who was there. So she should have been involved in the conversation, at least with Luke or had the option to speak to Tuello her with him. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Even yeah. I, though, like, even at this moment in time, I don't understand why that upset her, to be honest. Yeah, I think I mean, it's like, because she was already upset, though, because he's, it's, it feels like he's telling her how she should feel. Mm-hmm. Right. But I feel like that's not related necessarily. I'm saying, why wouldn't she want Tuello to know that about Hannah? I agree. He should have talked to her. Absolutely. hundred percent. It's but... too early. I think, I think she's too late. Like... It doesn't make sense to me. It's my daughter. She's in Gilead. I want to tell everybody that can help me too. It wasn't that she didn't want Tuello to know. It was that she wanted the agency to make the decision to tell him herself. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I think that's all it was. In and my I mind. get that. I yeah. don't think Luke understood that, though. I don't think like he would have thought that that piece of information is something that she would have yeah. not wanted to share, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think I think Luke again and again, especially in this episode, like is not relating the fact that she's been living in with no rights and no agency. So like every single thing choice that she's able to make is so important to her at this point like oh I can eat whatever I want that's like a huge deal mm-hmm. so I don't yeah. I think that to her it's like somebody relaying information that she didn't like want them to say or she wanted she wanted to be able to say herself it does feel like a pretty big violation when she just left a place where she couldn't say anything without you know I have a small Luke defense just because I didn't remember the way June phrases the thing about the test coming to the testimony. Yeah, but after that, he asks June if she's sure she doesn't want him at the testimony. And she says, no, it would just hurt you to hear those things about me. So I don't want that. And he seems to accept her answer and then tells her, oh, yeah, we talked about the Hannah part already. But what you were about to say, I agree with Violet. He has a defense here, right? She She, phrased it as she didn't want him hurt. I don't think that's what she meant. I think she didn't want him there for her own comfort, but she phrased it wrong. And that gave him a reason. She's trying to be nice, I think. Yeah, she was. But that gave him an excuse. Well, and everything that that June does in relation to Luke is, well, in relation to a lot of people is like guilt driven. So like the way that she says that is it's like, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to like have any more like guilt about like what is happening to you in this situation. But the phrasing of that, like you just said, probably makes Luke feel like, I mean, I think that he should have seen through that. I think he should have known that that wasn't what she meant. 
but I think he's able to be like, well, you said, oh, she doesn't want to hurt me, but I'm, I'm strong enough. I can do it. I want to, I want right. to hear it. And, and, and I know I'll be fine, but it's like, it reminds you know, me, <laughs> it reminds me of the tape she sent him too, though, because I, I had some problems with that wording too. Cause she's like, you can move on if you have to, or something to that effect. Yeah. Not. And she said like Nicole was, or Holly was made out of love. You can move on mm-hmm. if you have to. She's not being straight with him. She's not saying I'm in love with Nick. You should move on. She's but, hedging everything. And I think it's probably to not hurt him, but it's the way she talks to him. And it does not clearly give him the direction and the certainty that he needs. I think there is clearly a communication problem between them, you know, and June is cautious when it comes to saying things in part because of everything she has experience in Gilead, you know, she mistrusts people, I guess. And I think Luke misses his old June a lot mm-hmm. when the communication was more fluid between them. So I can understand why Luke's want to go to June's testimony because I think he lacks empathy about what June suffered in Gilead and because he doesn't know anything about it. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't there. Yeah. I think Luke should have, the the mistake was that he even went there. Like he should have talked to her. If he had any doubt about it, he should have talked to her. Yeah. Well, and even Moira, he did talk to Moira yeah. and she seconded that. She said if yeah. she wanted us there, she would have told us. Right. Exactly. June didn't even want Moira to go because Moira says, yeah. you know, if she would have wanted a cheering section, you know, we would go or we would be there. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think that before Gilead, I don't think June would have not told them to go. I think before Gilead, mm-hmm. like she said, we don't fight. I don't think she would have voiced her desires or what she wanted, even though maybe she wasn't clear enough uh, for whatever reason, she still is a little bit more vocal. And I don't think Luke is used to that because that's Mm -hmm. not who June was before. And I've said it before, like we know Luke, what he wants is just for her to be who she was because it's what he needs to heal. And, and it's just subconscious. Like, I think I'm pretty sure he's not stupid. He knows that she's not going to go back, but he he's desperate to just find that connection that was there before so that he can feel that he got her back. So in a way, it's a little selfish on his part, but he's not doing it to hurt her. He's, it's just what he needs because he's desperate. You know, like you're here, you're finally here. I waited all this time and it's just not going, you know, obviously it's not going to go good, but it's going, I guess, worse than he's probably thinking about Emily in the past episode. Yeah. You know, that Emily didn't want to see his wife. So what if also, he's also thinking, what if we ever get Hannah? What if I can't connect with Hannah? Like, I'm pretty sure all of these things have to be going through his mind. It's it's really like the second time that I watched it, I, you know, try to see it from another another perspective. Well, and what Melissa was saying too, like, I agree about the the connection, like them them having that lost connection. And I think like for June, it's that, I I don't know that it's just because she doesn't want to hurt Luke. I think she's really struggling to communicate with him just generally, like Mm -hmm. having trouble expressing anything to him. Yeah, and- in the first watch, I believed her when she said um, she doesn't want him there because um, it's hurting him. But uh, the more I watched that, uh, the more clear it became to me that she's noticing that he's always breaking down and she has to comfort him and she can't start to heal if she's having to hold his hand to help him heal first, even though she just came back and she's still deep really deep in her trauma uh, understandably and um, she's basically 
doing this for herself and not for him, but she can't tell him that because he would be devastated again. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree that I think like when somebody has gone through trauma too, you feel guilty for bringing other people along with you on your trauma. Like it's traumatizing to tell it again to a new person, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's even more traumatizing when you are unprepared to have to tell it to somebody too so like with with June and and Luke just appearing in the courtroom like that's traumatizing for her I know Luke didn't have any ill intent by going I know that he was just desperate to you know connect with her to know what happened to her so he can help her heal but at the same time like like Melissa said like he lacks empathy he doesn't see it from her perspective yeah I also think it's hard knowing like you have to go testify against somebody who kept you as a sex slave and raped you for years Mm -hmm. and you were impregnated by another man who Luke knows she was in love with so like to say that out, out loud and to confront a room full of people with your abusers right there is incredibly difficult yeah. And then to have to do that in front of your husband who doesn't know these things. Like, I think it's mm-hmm. also hard for her to say, Luke, I don't want you there because I don't want to talk about my rapes in front of you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking. Like, I think that it's, she is not able to express well what she needs either because it's mm-hmm. hard for her to even say yeah. it to him. Yeah. We talked a little bit about it, but Moira comes in and um, she senses the tension and she's trying to talk Luke down and you know, he's able to tell her how he really feels. And he says he doesn't know what she wants. She's like a stranger half the time. He says they talk about Hannah, like that's like the only good thing. And then he's just in bed and he just breaks down. And the last time we saw them was, you know, the controversial situation. Uh, Moira tells him getting over trauma is just a bumpy fucking road. They need to be patient until June gets where she's going because he doesn't know where she's been, what she's been through. So that sentence also, you know, he says that maybe that's the problem and foreshadows what happens tomorrow. I was thinking that June on the staircase in Luke and Moira's house was so similar to her being in the Waterford house when she would like wait on the stairs and I forgot to say that. So I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, that she was listening to that whole Moira and Luke exchange. Yeah, Yeah. that's a great point. Then a very pregnant Serena is reading a testimony in her room. Mr. Waterford's sexual tastes were very pedestrian. On occasion, he couldn't even perform. When that happened, he'd make me have sex with another Jezebel while he watched and masturbated. And I do enjoy Fred's response, only because this is a show and not real life. And a good evening to you, too, Fred responds. And Serena then reveals that it was Moira Strand's testimony. Super sad, but I'm glad that Moira got it out there. Fred calls her a deviant and a liar. And Serena's pretty distanced from, like, caring about his actual sexual misbehavior at this point. We've come a pretty far away from season one, where she, you know, told June that he was her husband till death to his part but she's focused on business it didn't help that you're rolling your eyes the whole time and you call june off red calling her june will help and fred says welcome into court with me will help and she said she hasn't been feeling well but he knows how to get her to come he says you want june to think you're afraid to face her and also it's been raining all episode i believe that's just something i noticed afterwards yeah the way the way he says uh june after she tells him to Say, not say off red it's just like so mocking ah i could strangle him it's like such an ass <laughs> then we're at the red center the handmaids are scrubbing the floors and the windows and lydia walks in and i don't know you can i just kind of looked at her and could tell she was un- unstable 
not in a good state and she starts yelling at everybody have you never washed a floor put something into it it's deplorable and Anne elizabeth and aunt ruth are laughing with each other like pretty hard i don't know that i've seen ants ever laugh this hard so lydia zeroes in on them and walks over gossip is a tool of the devil ladies and the one says still like basically laughing we were just saying what a blessing it is to have you back at lydia and lydia sarcastically says how kind but we must set a good example and she starts uh, tasing the shit out of the handmaid scrubbing the floor and because she missed a spot and then when aunt ruth tries to stop her she teases her too so that was a step too far i think lydia teases the handmaid because uh she just at first she said to her she missed the spot like normally more normally uh-huh. and then she sees the the look in ruth's eyes and she realizes that they think that she has turned too soft now. Uh-huh. And then she goes apeshit on the handmaid because she wants to show that she's still ruthless. And Ruthless, that's a good word. Yeah, I actually thought it was more her humiliation than rage thing because the ants were laughing at her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I really think that the handmaid was actually like totally like innocent in this, even, yeah, even to Lydia. I totally think she was innocent. Pissed. Yeah. yeah. But I think she she thinks that they think she has lost her way and that's why they are laughing at her that she's literally laughable right now and they are better the better aunts. Mm-hmm. But they also don't have what seven handmaids who escaped and exactly. like that's all true. of Lydia's handmaids basically are trouble and have gotten away from her. So <laughs> even though like we think she's the toughest, clearly she's been outsmarted. So she's human. She's embarrassed. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I think it's also the power dynamic. She just wants to stay relevant and stay in power. Yeah. But these new handmaids are like a new, this sounds horrible, but it's like a new crop of handmaids. Mm-hmm. And something that was funny to me was when Lydia says gossip is a tool of the devil and gossip is what got her her place back yeah. to... I wrote that down too. Like, huh, yeah. interesting. Lydia just meant gossip that I don't know about is the tool of the devil. <laughs> yeah. Now we are at the International Criminal Court. June's big day in court. I actually love that she's wearing black, like a commander. Yes, I like, I that, like too. that too. I also like that they didn't have um, her swear on a Bible. I love I like that. that it yeah. showed the separation mm-hmm. of church and state. And I love that June asks uh, if they come with the Bible because she's like, she's totally against that part now. Yeah, I'm curious well, what she would have done. She might not have been like, I think she was just expecting it. Like, because in America, that's what we do. I think she just wants religion kept out of this. Exactly. Religion, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's because she expected it. That's what you expect yeah. in a court, you know. Mm-hmm. I, in America, in Canada, they don't use Bibles. In America, we do. So you would expect that if yeah. you're going to swear. In America, right? Yep. Yeah, but yes. I think it refers to uh, the fact that she always had the Bible put in her face before the ceremonies and stuff. That's what I thought about when she asked for that, because I wouldn't want to see a Bible um, in that position in that yeah, moment. That's true. But June has like maintained her own personal yeah. beliefs. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, I wondered personal. if she was like, I don't know what she was thinking there. Like, I feel like it might've been a little more complicated than that. I don't know. I would have asked for a Bible because I watch 
court on television all the time in America <laughs> and then give you a Bible. So yeah, June's sitting in her black suit by herself on this long courtroom bench when the judge comes in and tells her it's time. And she's approaching the courtroom. We hear her heels clicking and the doors open. And this is like the brightest scene of her time in Canada. The courtroom is like blindingly bright after the previous scenes. And we see Serena has joined Fred. And then as June approaches the podium, she's asked if there's a Bible to swear on. And the man says, no, ma'am. Not in this court. And he just asks her to tell her the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And after she does, the doors open again, and we see Mark Tuella lead Luke into the room against her wishes. She does not look happy about that, but it's time for her to take the stand. And she begins with, my name is June Osborne. Fred Waterford and Serena Joy Waterford imprisoned me, beat me, and raped me. I came to the Waterford's house in 2017. It was my second posting. I can obviously do her testimony no justice, but she goes on for several minutes. Does anyone know how long? It's seven minutes. Almost exactly. Yeah. And she concludes as she looks directly at us through the camera with, I am grateful to be speaking with you today, but mine is just one voice. Countless others will remain unheard, imprisoned by men like Fred Waterford. Women, and she pauses, her voice is shaking, she's crying. My friends who lost their lives and could never be heard. It is for those women that I ask the International Criminal Court to confirm the charges against this man and put him on trial. I ask for the maximum possible sentence. I ask for justice. And only then do you really hear music coming in. Um, Luke is looking tearful. Fred is looking delusional as usual, as if she's hurt him and she couldn't possibly really feel like that. And Serena is looking thoughtful. And then she looks at Fred. And now the defense gets to ask questions. She That whole part where she's like, she kind of looks down and looks up and is like looking directly at the camera yeah. when she says the last part. I was just like bawling. She talks about her friends. I know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's I mean, it, it literally perfect. feels like a public service announcement, the way that they shot that part, the ending. Like, that's how it hit me. Well, and it hits you, it hit me as if we're not just talking about Gilead here, you know? Right. Talking about the real she's world. talking yeah. to us. Everybody. Yeah. 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 Every horrible thing that's happening right now in the world, Afghanistan, everything, you know? Ugh, it did. It struck me like that, too. And it's so cool that she's the one that wanted to do that the way that it was filmed. Mm-hmm. I read that Kira Snyder had written it not as a one shot, not intended as such, but it was Lizzie's choice that she wanted to try it that way. And it came out, obviously, amazingly effective. It, it took two days to film and the monologue, she decided to do it on the second day so she could have extra time to memorize. And what Lissy says is the reason why we did it in one take was I didn't want to give the audience a chance to look away in the same way that June is forcing that courtroom, the ICC, Fred and Serena to face everything they have done to her and her friends and family over the last few years. I wanted the audience to not be able to look away and have to hear the whole thing. So it was a difficult thing to shoot. It was perfect. Yeah, it's really incredible amazing. she's amazing there's so many long stretches where she doesn't even look down and you're just like she's memorized all of this like perfectly yeah like overnight <laughs> yeah and you can see her feelings in her face like the different you know when she's when she talks about certain things you can see yeah. how it affects her and how she's trying to keep it you know as controlled as possible um i really like how the, the light is so bright and natural and it's like the way it's shining down through this glass in the ceiling. It almost like looks heavenly, like she's an angel. Yeah. I have a question for you guys. Why do you think June didn't mention the rapes at the Jezebels? Oh, right. She mentioned them. She said amongst many others or something. But yeah, I why guess, she didn't yeah. actually. I think she just didn't want to go into detail. Okay. But they were, I do think that they were notable and that she had to try to pretend to enjoy it, you know? And I think that that's a notable thing that they should have discussed. I really love how she is trying to stay very controlled, but you can still see her emotion. Like when she gets to Nick's name, she pauses. You could tell she's being very careful 
about how she's speaking about him because she knows he can get in trouble because she says that Serena orders her to have sex with the driver and that Gilead Law left her no choice to say no, which is also, I think, implying that he didn't have a choice either. And then she calls him Mr. Blaine, which I kind of feel like is her trying to downplay any connection they have because obviously people, some people know that they were in a relationship. Because then she also mentioned that Serena was watching them. She's trying to show that it's Serena, not him. I think part of that, though, is because isn't this just, this is just the confirmation for Fred's charges, right? Yeah. yeah. So she's she's not going to go into detail about Serena's charges right now. That's not the point of this. Fred didn't have anything to do with, with the situation between Nick and June having sex. He wasn't involved in that. So yeah, she's know, not going to like be more specific about like he was raped and talk more about him because that's not relevant to Fred. I'm basically trying to say she knows that Gilead is going to hear this. So yeah. I think she's just trying to be careful in general, not for the court, but for Nick's safety and Gilead to like phrase it as carefully as she can. Mm-hmm. Because then um, later on when she's talking about Lawrence, I think she's also kind of trying to protect him. I mean, it's the truth, but I think she's also kind of trying to protect him. And then she makes a point to say against their will and then uses Eleanor's name. Yeah, sure. But uh, for Lawrence, she basically admits here that he did never put her through the ceremonies. Thank you. So she basically admits to that. And I mean, it still wasn't clear if... It seems quite dangerous. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think that helps against Fred though. Yeah. Because does, obviously yeah. specifying that like Lawrence didn't do this willingly at all, even before Fred forced them. Like it's, it's really makes that a much more vile situation that Fred yeah. orchestrated that. So I think it's leaving that in is more to hurt Fred. I think right, I but wonder- it's not protecting, it's not protecting Lawrence. I think like maybe we would expect her to from gilead although it would protect him maybe if he defected or something like it would give him more yeah like they might give more leniency if they see that he was like if they have testimonies that he was kind and that he treated her better that's why i think she's looking at all these angles when she's writing this testimony because yes like that makes that implicates lawrence in gilead but it's also showing like tuello and the americans that these two men were not bad yeah because like lawrence i'm sure they know lawrence is very high up in gilead you have this super high up commander not participating and then here fred is like going to his house and forcing this to happen so like you said it makes fred look a lot worse yeah i wonder though why she didn't mention that eleanor died because of that basically because it put her off the cliff that surprised me too maybe that's not like what do they call that when it's not there's no way to specifically tie it's circumstantial. it yeah there we go thanks guys so maybe that would like muddy things because she doesn't want to say something that is it's not just a direct no nah, this is an emotional plea i feel like it would fit yeah, I mean, yeah but she wants to be credible right like she wants right. everything that she's saying to come across right, like fair. don't be too dramatic right okay. right fair. she's giving facts yeah all right yeah, yeah. and i think she didn't mention the Jezebels because um, they could say that she wanted to go to Jezebels, you know, or imply that June and, and Fred had something. So I think he she could was... say, You asked me to take you back. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 
And then also that I think it's very um, symbolic that uh, Fred's lawyer was a woman because I think they wanted to show that there are women who are Gilead sympathizers too. Oh, bitches. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I literally start the next part with it's of course extra infuriating that his lawyer is a woman and she starts out immediately with a character attack regarding her pre-Gilead adultery. I object strongly though to her lack of a sufficient response. Junes to the next question when the lawyer says, well, you chose to be a handmaid. You could have chosen the colonies, right? Which is a death sentence. But instead of saying that or discussing the point that being given two choices of slavery does not constitute an actual choice. Instead of that, she focused on the rape at nine months, which to me kind of validated their ridiculous argument that the rest of it wasn't sexual slavery if she chose handmaid. But I like how the show shows realistic reactions to things. She probably wouldn't have responded to that attack perfectly. And back to the nine month of rape, Fred sells it as another ceremony sanctioned to help bring the baby into the world. He probably did put that in the books afterwards. Then he focuses on Serena's pregnancy and how the sacrifices are necessary for the world. And June asks how her suffering was rewarded. And Fred responds with both of her daughters. You left out the part where I let you see Hannah once. But June is done. She is done. Anything else can wait for his trial, she says, and she walks out. My last note on that, though, was can she do that? <laughs> can you just walk out on defense? I think like, so, because it's not an actual trial, right? Yeah. Like, I think she can just be done because she they were in a letter just send in her written testimony. So I guess they don't. True. So it's like, uh, yeah. I was so scared when this scene happened because, first of all, I agree, the lawyer's a fucking bitch. And obviously, this is a strategy. It's a typical court strategy, what she's doing, but it's still annoying that she can't fucking empathize but that's her job that's what she's supposed to do and then on top of that we get fred's super monologue using god to justify the piece of shit that he is so the way that they film june like sideways you can see you can also see like a little bit of her ear tag but you can see that she's furious you can see that rage building and i'm like she's going to jump over and fucking kill him there and she's going to look hysterical she's going to look unstable She's going to be the violent one, which is what always happens. And these people are going to look like people of God. And it's just going to be so bad. So when she stood up to him with such control and then she said, I am done. That's my favorite like scene of the whole episode, because it's like, no, I'm not. No, you're done. Like, you don't you don't get to tell me things like this anymore. You don't get to control me anymore. I'll see you in court. And it was so powerful to see it. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's just an amazing team. That's really true. I, I also just couldn't believe that like the, the judges and people were like, stop, stop trying to stop Fred. And then all of a sudden he just goes into a monologue and they just like let him spin out. Like, yeah. <laughs> so they just stopped trying. That's to... not supposed to happen. Yeah. That seems very um, uh, fucked up <laughs> that they would let him talk to her like that. Yeah. They basically gave him a platform to preach his message, which is what he wanted. And to yeah. continue like harassing June too. And I thought it was interesting. He's because he called Nicole your daughter. And I'm like, okay, here's the moment we're all talking about like, oh, why does Serena forget about Nicole now that she's pregnant? And I feel like this is the moment where he basically is like, she's your daughter. He also needs to say that in court, right? Like he needs to make it, make sure that it sounds like he's, if he says my daughter, then they're questioning. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I'm, I was l- not laughing, but the sentence with bringing the baby healthy into this world with a rape. To bring, to bring God's gift into the world safely for safely. the health of the child. Yeah. For the health of the child, after the doctor said specifically 
they shouldn't do anything because it's too dangerous. And then he's like saying, yeah, it was to get her out safely. I'm like, it's crazy when Fred is going on about that they have been rewarded for their suffering and that stuff. Uh, he touches Serena's belly and she's flinching back because they are like, they are not touching anymore. They are hostile to each other. Then we're at Lawrence's house and Lydia seems to be in trouble. And it's funny to me that Lawrence is in charge of punishing her, I guess. But Lydia comes in like defending herself. Aunt Ruth got in my way. She's so often clumsy and Lawrence cuts her off. Not like I care about her, but what about the handmaid? She was obedient, compliant. They all are these days. They've known Gilead most of their lives, unlike some... <laughs> and he says it must be killing her that June won free in Canada. And I'm so glad that he can rub it in since June can't and that he is rubbing it in since June can't. And he continues, free as a bird and singing like one too. So he has heard about the testimony. Like I've, I've always wondered yeah. exactly, but of course they've heard it. He doesn't seem upset though, so he's okay. Lydia says she'll answer to God and Lawrence's next response delights me too, which I should not be surprised by at this point. We'll see. Maybe she'll just wrap that old goat around her finger too. <laughs> But, uh, but he continues June 1 because she knows how to make people like her people don't like you and uh, he says people don't like me either but he's, he says these reports have to stop and when Lydia asks if he's going to terminate her and he says no he wants to reform Gilead with her she has to get her shit together though so that's now this reforming Gilead thing and then he drops a sad bomb for us exciting bomb for Lydia Janine has been captured in Chicago and Lydia's delighted the trouble that she's caused, he says, the defiance. It's such a poor reflection on your training on Gilead. And Lydia defends her. I assure you this girl was led astray. He says she was your responsibility, right? And Lydia's like so tearfully happy. He says, yes, yes, it is. And he says, I know you enjoy inflicting pain. I'm not judging. Everybody needs a hobby, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and Lydia is like very affected. She's crying. That's not true. That's not true. I object to this. But Lawrence continues, it is counterintuitive for you to be inflicting this pain to your students at the Red Center. So do with her what you will. But like, Ann Dowd's acting in the scene is incredible. Her, the emotions, the crying, the, everything about it. I love it. It's so fucking like, Ann Lydia is just like such a puzzle, but it, she's amazing. I can't imagine anyone else playing her. No, she was really upset when Lawrence said, you know, you like inflicting pain. Like, she was offended. Yeah. Like, I object to that. Like, that's not who I am. I'm like, what? Um, <laughs> it's really weird because I, I know she's happy to see Janine. Like, she's okay. You know, like, she's here. Like, the way she hugs the file at the end, yeah. it was just like, okay, what's going on here? Relieved. Thank you. She she thought she's dead, right? Because they found her almost starved because she was, like, hiding out there for days, basically, because ever since June came back to Canada, right? And Aunt Lydia surely thought that she was dead too, like the others. And she's so relieved because she's like her baby that she wants to form into this perfect, obedient handmaid. It's it's such a crazy um, relationship between those two. It's like, but she's the only one. Janine's the only one that's ever showed Aunt Lydia any genuine affection in Gilead. Yeah, as crazy as it is that Janine feels that for her, she has in the past. Yeah, I think because Janine kind of like all of the handmaids are pretty, pretty much infantilized, right? Like that's kind of like the point. And mm -hmm. Janine like sort of regressed mentally because of what happened to her. And so I think that she's in like the perfect position for Aunt Lydia to like aunt her. <laughs> yeah. And so 
they their relationship kind of hits all the buttons that like Aunt Lydia needs, right? Mm -hmm. Did anybody find it funny that Lawrence was saying that um, the future of Gilead means the world to him, means everything to him? And I'm That's like, the part that I was like, shocking news. Yeah. Do you really care about Gilead? I mean, yeah. I think it was just manipulating Lydia. Like that's the mm -hmm. only way to like feed her what she wants to, to hear and kind of manipulate her. Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. Manipulates yeah. her. So she's his ally to give him all the uh, intel on the other commanders when he needs yeah. them. He doesn't like the way Gilead is. No, he no. doesn't want it to change. So the thing is, I always thought that after um, Eleanor died, that he once wanted it to burn as a revenge, that Gilead is just burning to the ground because he hates everybody and everything. But he, uh, he did want a perfect utopia and hope that would be Gilead but it didn't turn out the way he wanted it so maybe he is trying to change it the way he wanted it but why would he do that without his wife he said that Eleanor would have wanted him to clean up his messes so. oh right I forgot about the sentence yeah 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 I do like the parallel though of him saying that um you know he's trying to compliment June and says she knows how to make people like her Because he mm -hmm. made that seem like that was a weakness back in the beginning of season three. Mm -hmm. But now clearly he's learned like that actually is a positive thing. So I, I like that call out. Then the support group is meeting, talking about how it was just like Waterford today, putting lipstick on a pig and June walks in. They applaud her. They call her the woman of the hour before they realize she has someone with her. The aunt that was harassing Emily last meeting. Not enough excitement for her today at the testimony, it seems. Moira tells her she had no business bringing her here, and the others ask who she is. She tells them she's an aunt. Aunt Irene. Moira says this isn't the time or the place, and Moira asks who wants her to stay, and the women slowly each start putting their hands up. But June looks at Emily, who does not have her hand up yet, and says, I'm trying to help you, but it's up to you. And she pulls a chair in the middle of the circle for the ant. Red Center Shame Circle 101. The triangle forming around her, though, reminds me so much of the hangings in the episode when Francis is hung. And they're doing the same thing here, pretty much. Pulling the ropes to hang her with. I thought that was cool, and I would not have noticed it previously to our rewatch. The ant starts admitting she's done some terrible things, but she missteps greatly when she calls them corrections and even when june pushes back and calls them torture she just offers punishments meant to keep you alive but the aunt continues that what she did to emily was worse and june asks what she did and iris slash irene admits that she was the one that told the eyes about emily's relationship with her martha and june didn't seem to see that coming i don't know i didn't think but she gets right to explaining it to everybody else there so you were the reason why they hung that poor woman and you were the reason why they mutilated emily And Emily asks her what she wants, and she says that since she found out Emily was here, she hasn't had a moment's peace. She wants Emily to forgive her. June says, you crossed the border and pretended just to be any other refugee, and you lied, and you gave yourself a new name, and you thought you could just leave all the other shit you did behind. Why the fuck do you think you deserve forgiveness? And she says, we're all God's children. And June says, bullshit, you people hide behind God whenever it serves you. And she gets on her knees and begs Emily to tell her what to do to make things better. And Emily tells her there's nothing, nothing she can do, and then she just rises and walks out. It pisses me off that that woman was like apparently totally fine until she heard that Emily had joined her in Canada. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it was like out of sight, out of mind because, you know, she didn't know that Emily was in close proximity. So it just makes her apology even more callous in a way. And also she says, I need you to forgive. Like she needs to feel better about herself, about everything that she did in order to. I can't sleep since. Yeah. Exactly. Like it's just 
it's it's a worse apology you know like you're trying to apologize but you're not even considering it's it's just exactly it's that what you need you need this in order to move forward because you can't forgive yourself over what you did and it's just like it, it's crazy how they they show that you know because on the outside people are just going to be like well she's just asking for forgiveness but it's just the way that she asks for forgiveness that you see that right it's something that she needs she's not repentful but she doesn't even ask she's telling her like she's yeah. not even saying will you forgive me she's saying i need you so that bothered me too the statement versus the question i mean it's literally the same way that serena asked june for in the last episode in episode seven that serena was like you know on her knees begging june to forgive her she didn't really feel bad about it she just wanted june to forgive her so that she could move so that serena could move on it wasn't about june getting anything out of that apology I love too, though, how Emily was like, you people hide behind God every time it serves you. Like, it's such as the epitome of Gilead. That's exactly what they do on a daily basis. And this woman is basically just proving that, like, I want forgiveness. But basically, she's hiding behind God, but she doesn't she doesn't really care. You know, now we enter the most uncomfortable scene I've ever watched. It opens with awkward silence, except for the sounds that are clearly intended to make you feel uncomfortable like fork scraping and chewing chewing is like a personal thing for me that i really can't stand so maybe not for everybody but there's no way that they didn't intend for these sounds to be very like bothersome to you and it's there's no music Mm -hmm. and luke asks her how group was and she says it was fun and then tries she tries to give him a little more she's you know telling him the food is really good and then he tells her that he's really sorry about today about coming to court so he does know what he did wrong i wasn't 100 percent on that before because we've discussed earlier the way that she'd phrased, you know, but um, he does know what he did wrong. And then he blows his apology in my eyes by saying, at least now I know everything and maybe we can just move on. It's pretty much all of that sentence. It's terrible. I do feel for him now. He has no idea what to do. First of all, saying we can just move on has a lot of problems in it itself because she's the one that has borne the brunt of this, you know, torture, obviously. So just saying we can move on doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But the worst part is now I know everything because she had a testimony for seven minutes over seven years of torture. So obviously Mm -hmm. he knows like 1% of what happened, if that. So I just, it really irks me that he says now I know everything. Mm -hmm. He tells her if he, if she wants to talk about anything about Hannah and she says, I don't. And then he starts crying and she feels the need to comfort him despite all she's been through, even just today. And it's just really sad for her. But then she launches into one way that she knows how to transact when she's not like present in the moment or doesn't want to be, I guess. And she starts to awkwardly, aggressively like kiss him and reach for his pants. And this time he pushes her off him and he yells at her to talk to him. And then she just gives him, she just death glares him and storms off. And it's still really sad for Luke, but he's just going about it so wrong (laughs) that it's so hard to focus on feeling sorry for Luke, which is how he's feeling versus June, who's going through so much shit right now and still having to deal with like his emotions. It's just tough to watch. Very awkward scene. Well done. Great acting by OT and Lily. Yeah, um, I wanted to point out the moment that she's she's like, uh, he says, I, I don't know what to do. And he's um, slowly freaking out. And she's, she's trying to pushed on what she's feeling and then she would see her closing her eyes and shaking her head and slipping into a mask basically trying to be able to comfort him and the way she looks when she gets up and goes to him it's like I felt she was thinking not again like is this happening again what what the fuck 
and then she has the smile up and then she looks friendly and everything so she's really just forcing it in and only when they start to uh, she starts to kiss him and we can see her how her eyes are open and it looks so uncomfortable it's just to shut him up it's not no love or anything there it's just yeah i think looks cried because he finally heard a little bit about yeah what june's been uh, been through and he feels more guilty than before mm-hmm. a lot more and i have to say that even when i always try to understand luke i hate the part when june has to comfort him um because i i think it should be the the other way around but also i think he was trying to communicate with june yeah and she she didn't want to communicate she she avoids all the talk with luke because she wants she didn't want to talk about anything and luke is like forcing her to talk she uh, wants to avoid that and that's why she's so uncomfortable you know yeah yeah and she's already talked about it all day she's been talking about you know more than anybody would want to that day I have trouble seeing anybody move on without Hannah as well. So him saying, yeah, let's just move on is a little bit like, huh? Your, your daughter is still there. Well, and there is no moving on either. Like, right? No way. Yeah. It, it, even with Hannah, everybody, it's like we're oh, starting yeah, a new sure. life. We're not like moving on past it. Like it's always going to be there. So yeah, yeah. Th- their relationship needs to change to fit mm-hmm. who June is now not the other way around. Yeah. I, I think my issue with, with the whole scene is just like you guys have said, the dismissiveness of, so now we can move on. But I think that's just such a common, that's just something that's so commonly said, like, let's move on. Like you have to move on. So I'm sure he doesn't even understand, like we've been talking about how dismissive it is, especially okay. in this exact moment. And I just don't think June feels safe enough or being able to have any sort of intimacy with Luke right now, because obviously she's, she's just free. Um, and obviously he's not going the right way. So it's just a, like a circle of not being able to communicate, not being able to maybe be a team. And he's just pushing her away while he's just trying to hold on to her. And there's that connection mm-hmm. is just no longer there. And it's, it's sad because I know most of us have said, like, it sucks that she has to comfort him uh, because of everything that we've seen that she's gone through. But then I'm like, what about him? You know, like, you can see the desperation. That's where he needs an outlet for that. That's, I guess that's what frustrates me. Like, he's entitled to feel all this, but he should be crying like that with Moira or just anybody yeah. in the world but June. Yeah. yeah. A husband support group. A therapist. I'm sure they exist. Yeah. All of the above. They're all good options for this moment in time when she needs a break. Then Lydia is reunited with her prized handmaid, Janine. Then she says Janine looks like The Wreck of the Hesperus, which is a ballad poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And the message of that poem is about arrogance and foolish human pride and how it can lead to tragic and devastating consequences. It should be Gilead's like motto. Lydia tells Janine that their boys in Chicago saved her and Janine immediately asks where June is if she's dead. And when Lydia tells her that her friend is in Canada, Janine is ecstatic. She's laughing and crying, saying she made it. I knew that she would make it. And it's so sweet. I love this. It was such a like genuinely happy emotion for her. Not at all jealous. But Lydia turns it around and says, June left you. Don't 
Tell me she couldn't take you with her. She's done it before. Maybe this time you were just too much trouble. Annoying because it comes on the heels of June telling Janine she should have left her a long time ago, which Lydia could never have known, but she would be delighted to know that she was hitting that at the right right time. But Janine switches topics and says, I know what happens here. I know it will keep happening until I die. Just don't make me a handmaid again, please. And Lydia blames that on June too. Look what she's done to you. She corrupts you. She destroys everyone. And she reminds Janine she spent her whole life Losing the people she loves because of you, you horrid bitch. That pissed me off so much. Like that did nothing but hurt her. That was just kicking her while she was down. It did nothing to help her. Um, and Janine begs her again, please don't make me a handmaid again. And Lydia looks like maybe she'd like to grant that, but she can't and says, there's no use in being theatrical. And she hugs her. Whatever are we going to do with you? I think on Lydia is being extremely mean with Janine. She's using her anger against June through Janine. Something weird, you know, but... Yeah, I agree. Only Lydia doesn't want her chatting, you know, but she's peace uh, with June, so... Yeah. Janine is kind of like a... There's like a tug of war with Janine between June and Lydia, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Lydia's feeling like June, like, won her, and now she's got... Lydia's got a winner back. Yeah. That's a very good point. Exactly. Sad. It's it's horrifying that it looks like Janine believes her that June just left her as if she didn't. I mean, how should she find her? She even tried to. She didn't leave her. June wanted to find Janine. And Janine just believes her like that. And I'm like, I know that Janine is going back and forth with her mental stability. But it's like, I hope that she wouldn't give in that easily on that topic after everything. Then Moira tells Emily it was shitty of June to ambush her like that, but Emily defends June. She thought it would help. Moira asks if it did, and Emily says it wasn't enough. And then Moira asks if she wants to see her again, and she starts kind of manipulating her, I don't know, at least angling for her to be more useful and ask the aunt to be a witness for the ICC. Maybe Emily can talk to her again in private this time, get her to testify move forward Emily says so Moira's kind of using Emily too that's kind of like what I got from that scene too that Moira was kind of you know pushing her to like try and do something useful like you said but I think it's interesting that you know we see how Moira's already past her guilt you know move on and Emily's kind of stuck like in this whole episode you see like you said you don't know what she feels but you know that she's angry. That anger is still there because it's like she's trying to fit in into Canada. But that anger that June has out in the open is is there. And in contrast to how Emily was in Gilead before she got to Canada, she was very angry for obvious reasons. And June wasn't. And now June is. So it's interesting how they shuffle each other. It's interesting, too, on the heels of what Violet said about Lydia and June using Janine in kind of a tug of war. That's how Emily is at the moment between June and Moira. They're mm-hmm. both like, no, mm-hmm. use my way of healing, use my way of healing. True. Yeah. What Violet said reminded me of what June says to Lydia in 403. You know, Janine, your girl, she turned on you in a second. So I'm pretty sure that also pulled in a tug of war. Yeah. But Emily still has that little piece of paper as she drives. So we can tell she is going to talk to her the aunt like Moira asked and the music does not prepare me for what she's about to find which is some paramedics running around and then we see a foot hanging a red slipper falling off and then we see it's attached to the aunt she was coming to see 
And the sun is shining through her hand in a cool way. And there is another triangle above her in the tree. I just looked because I noticed it in that scene in the library. Emily takes it all in stride pretty well and turns the car around, drives by the fire truck, headed back home. And her face is still unreadable to me anyway. So like this whole episode, I'm very unclear on how Emily's feeling about everything. I think probably Emily is unclear about how Emily's feeling about everything too, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought that she looked a bit satisfied in the end. Um, when she drove away but all the time I was expecting her to start to smile or something like that but she didn't so she really was truly keeping everything to herself even though she was alone she's probably used to keep it all in and don't let her anger and emotions show but still there was a slight change in her face like more I don't know if it was relief or anything like that yeah is when emily's going to the house what are her intentions it seems like it's to do what moria just asked her to do just talk to her yeah maybe it's to murder her right because i was kind of i was wondering a little bit if the reason why emily's expression is unreadable is partly because like what what you're saying is true claudia like she probably does have some relief but then at the same time she, she might feel like she didn't get her revenge or she didn't get she missed out on something i don't know that's how it's presented at the end though the women are like oh you must be upset you didn't get your yeah day in court whatever and she's happy so she's really happy she doesn't seem like she's faking it or anything yeah maybe it just takes it's just setting in still when she's driving away yeah probably processing everything i think it's all just good acting yeah um i like the parallel that um the aunt hung herself and emily's ex-girlfriend lover got hung you guys think that's why she did it that way i think that's why i think so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i think so i think it was interesting though how they made that whole scene though look very gilead the emts looked like guardians because they're all dressed in black and then she's hanging herself and she's got red slippers and then the light like it, it just felt very eerie um then we get the infuriating scene fred and serena's fan base but first i think it's protesters against them they haven't gone outside yet. Serena asks if he believed what he said yesterday. I think she's referring to his whole speech. Everything about yeah. his his preaching about how yeah. Gilead works. About the pregnancy being a reward for their sufferings and all of that, I think. But as they walk out in their full commander and wife attire, the crowd starts cheering and they were expecting protesters, which I would find unbelievable six years ago, but now I believe it. And she reaches for his hand and he looks beyond shocked, but he goes with it. And they walk out as a united front to cheers and posters of trust in God, free the water birds, cameras clicking. We love you, Serena. It's insane, of course. I was wondering how, like, if they were expecting protesters, what changed? Why is there a fan base now? Like, was it because of what was said in the testimony? Because in the yes. circle, in the therapy circle, they said, you know, the internet is having a field day. So yeah. uh, it was just weird to me, like, how everything just spread out of, obviously, what he said and how people bought it. And that's why they're there. After Fred said that um, it worked, they managed to get through to the people. I thought that maybe the testimony was not streamed live, but pulled out there. And the people saw what he said afterwards to June. And that's why they are now showing up. It seems like it was televised. Yeah, crazy. Then it's quiet back in the library and Moira is there to comfort everyone about Irene, asks if anyone wants to say anything. And the other women are all telling Emily not to feel guilty, saying how traumatic it must have been, how she had nothing to do with it. And it's 
similar to the beginning of the episode when they're all speaking for June. And June speaks up and says, why don't we let Emily tell us how she feels if she wants to? And June's instincts are spot on because, and I didn't see this coming, Emily's looked kind of upset this whole time in the meeting. So then when she says, I feel amazing. I'm glad she's dead. And I hope I had something to do with it. So that I was shocked by that. And Moira is visually bothered by this. And then the other woman started talking about what they'd really like to do to their aunts, commanders, wives. Moira finally calls it off once Vicky fantasizes about a broomstick and the wife in her house. And she says, Moira says, anger is an important emotion, but we can't live there. And tees up one of my favorite June lines in the show and in our intro. Why not? Why does healing have to be the only goal? Why can't we be as furious as we feel? Don't we have that right? And Moria shuts down the whole meeting on that note. I think that's the hour, ladies. But that's not going to stop June. I'll stick around longer if anyone wants, she says. And everybody does. Or at least you hear multiple people saying, I, I can, I would. Somebody thanks her. And Moira looks super unhappy. I think Emily, though, like finally, first of all, I love how she has like a halo around her head, almost like Jesus with the thorn, the crown of thorns. That imagery was really cool. But I, I think because Emily finally said the ugly feelings that you're not supposed to say. So then everybody feels like, oh, thank God. Like now I can say my feelings and you could all see them all getting more lively. This is one of my favorite episodes precisely because how they play with anger and how it's portrayed in media. Like, is it something that's valid or is it something that you should push down? Like everybody always says you should not be angry. And to see that other perspective where these people have a right to feel angry. And obviously Moira's right, you can't live there, but you have a, you know, there's a way to navigate anger and anger can be useful. And that's not something that's said, I don't think I've ever heard it. So for me as a viewer, this episode, because of that is really, really powerful and it's validating in a way. Yeah, that's good. I think, honestly, I think for me, it probably was just because like I was constantly told not to be sad. So it's the Mm opposite. I had the opposite issue as a kid. Like I was always told, don't be sad. Why are you crying? What's wrong with you? So whatever we're like berated about is probably what we feel like we wish we could express now. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I love that here the episode comes to a full circle because it starts with June basically being unhappy with the fact that nobody shows anger like she does. And now everybody is on her side, except Moira, basically. They should have expressed their anger before too, but they were too scared to do that. So I'm glad that she did push everybody. They all seemed happy to be able to express their innermost feelings finally. And then Hell is Around the Corner by Tricky Plays, and it's pretty perfect. As June walks back into Luke's house, and she looks like she's on a mission, he's on the end of the bed being sad, and she approaches him and puts her head on his, holds his head and says, honestly, finally, Luke, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you about the last time I saw Hannah. Uh, But it's nice that she's finally opening up to him, and that's the end of the episode. Okay, I think that's a wrap on our spoiler-free analysis of this episode. Hang on a few seconds if you're a long-time watcher, and we will discuss the episode in the context of the show to date. Okay, who's got notes? Um, I had one about Emily. Just like in the beginning of season one, like Emily kept trying to push June to become more involved with the resistance in May Day. Once her and June started talking to each other, I think she kind of saw that in her, that there was that potential for her to be a good member 
of Mayday and get involved and like saw that, you know, badass person in her. And I feel like this is kind of like what's happening here where June is looking at Emily and knows that she's got a lot of anger and feelings and that she's probably suppressing all that. And I think June was right to push her because in the finale, Emily is the one who basically gives her, I don't know if I'd say the idea, but she kind of pushes June to take vengeance on Fred. And she's basically her right-hand person in the woods killing him. So I think that journey is kind of cool between the two of them, like how they, they both see that spark in each other and push each other to go to the next level and feel their feelings and take revenge because that's what they do. Yeah. And I can uh, extend that because uh, basically what June did in this episode is she gathers her crew that helps her later uh, to finish off Fred. Because I think that those are all the women that help her later, right? I think I recognized one or two of them, the handmaids that she has with her in the woods. So I kind of like that she got her crew and the only other note that I had was the fact that Luke was saying, um, maybe we can just move on. And it made me remember the moment in the car where he tells her to let it go and let Fred go. And it's basically the same. And yeah, it's like his mindset, I guess, like that's how he wants to deal with it. And she yeah. just can't. I don't know. Rewatching this episode, like I, f- I feel like the big theme of this episode is expectations on feelings and how you should feel versus how you actually feel and I was thinking too about like I know she's like short with Luke and everything like when they're washing the dishes earlier in this episode and she's kind of frustrated but I was thinking about like I'm just imagining June sitting there writing this testimony she obviously has to go through her entire journey of what she's been through with the Waterfords and everything that happened since season one basically and I can't even fathom like how much that had to hurt to like think about all of that and then somehow summarize all of that into seven minutes knowing like you have to say this in front of lots of people that's obviously like really hard to go through you know I think having to recount all that and deal with all that like it makes sense to me now why she just doesn't want to open up about Nick or even utter his name because opening that can of worms as far as like her feelings for him and maybe never seeing him again is too much to deal with along with everything else she's dealing with and the fact that she doesn't have Hannah either so yeah and we see we see um in episode nine how that affects her when it does happen when Mm -hmm. the can of worms is opened and yeah Okay, so I think that's a wrap on our analysis of this episode. Come back on Thursday for our analysis of season four, episode nine. We're getting so close to season five. It's crazy. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Then June and Luke are washing dishes, and it seems like Luke's trying to sympathize it on. Is it aunt or aunt? Why do I never remember? They must say it one way. It's it's regional. Aunt? Right, but in Gilead, what do they say? I feel oh, like really? I should say it right. Both. And I, have no I actually idea. They say, say both. They say both because I think it depends on what the person, Who you the are. individual. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Okay, because I think I go back and forth. You go back and forth and it's really cute. <laughs> <laughs>